Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. It comes down to just repetitions, right? You're doing something over and over and over and over and over again. And so that's where... You know, when you're out practicing, it's not like you're just, you know, running around, you know, <laughs> do it. You're, you're drilling this stuff. You're going through all these scenarios. You're seeing different looks and then being able to respond to that in real time. And then looking at that after every practice, looking at those decisions, understanding where you may have made a poor decision. And then next time you're in that situation, you're more prepared to make the right decision. So it's really just the mastery, essentially, right? You spend so many hours, 10,000 hours, whatever it is, doing something, eventually some of these things become second nature. And you see that at the highest level. Yeah. Like elite level quarterbacks in the NFL, they're playing a different game than everybody else. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Chris, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I actually learned about you by way of somebody who had reached out to me and they had mentioned that you had been a football player at my alma mater or mutual alma mater, uh, as well as spent some time in the NFL and then went on to start a company. So naturally, I was immediately intrigued by all of that. But before we get into that, I wanted to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping what you ended up doing with your life and your career? So... My dad owned a small business. He was a, a contractor, owned a painting company. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs with that. You know, even though the business was based in Southern California, I remember anytime there'd be a heavy rainy season, you can't really do much painting outdoors. And so that really came with a lot of ups and downs uh, in terms of financials and saw some of the challenges and struggles he had, you know, with small business, but also at the same time, the ability to kind of, you know, build a business that provided for, for the family was important. I also got to know, uh, I guess, hard labor firsthand. I would go to job sites with him, moving ladders up and down, you know, 
the dog days of summer, essentially. And I, I really think that taught me the, the value of hard work and also that that's not a path that I wanted to pursue later in life in terms of like more labor, um, labor intensive work. My mom was a, a teacher. She'd taken time off to raise the family while my dad was busy with the business. But as we got a little bit older, he was a physical education teacher. And so I think you know, both my parents had an athletic background. They met at Michigan State. Um, I think their uh, background in athletics really kind of shaped and inspired me to, to chase that dream as a young kid. And then I just think you know, I saw how hard they both worked and that really instilled the value of hard work in me. And I also got to see how my dad uh, treated his employees. And even when money was tight, he would ensure that they always got paid first. And oftentimes he would pay them much better than you know, what the, the going rate was, even if that meant, you know, we would have to sacrifice as a family. And so he always led with a lot of integrity. And that was really important to me and um, just instilled really strong values uh, in me as I kind of um, face my, my dreams and goals and really try to you know, um, mirror some of those things that they both taught me. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wonder one, what was the, the narrative about education uh, around your household, particularly with your mother being a teacher? Um, and you know, was there a question of sort of balancing, you know, these athletic dreams with the importance of education? Because you went to Cal and you and I both know that is not an easy place to go to school. Yes. Yeah, so, from very early on, my dad always emphasized education above athletics. Obviously, both were very important, but he said, you know, if I go try to get a, you know, get grades that allows me to pick and choose where I, I can go to school, right? So if I get grades that will get me into a Cal or Stanford or Harvard or something like that, I can go anywhere I want. You know, and athletics will only complement my ability to get there. So that that was always a big deal. Uh, you know, there was my dad would um, reward us for uh, our grades. Actually, it would, you know, I think there's like twenty bucks or something for every A that we got, ten bucks for a B, and then we'd have to pay him if we got anything less than that. And so there was, there was always that system in place to reward, but also risk if we weren't doing well. And, and, you know, my dad ran a, ran a type ship. He, uh, was, uh, kind of ruled with an iron fist. He, he disciplined us. And anytime we stepped out of right line, especially in the classroom and we weren't, you know, getting the results that, you know, he, he knew we were capable of. Uh, there was some sort of some, some form of punishment as a result, whether that was you know grounding us or you know financial penalty or just not allowing to, us to do the things that we wanted to do um, because we weren't keeping up with our end of the bargain. And I, and I say we; I was one of five. Uh, I, I grew up with four sisters, so and I was okay. the, the second oldest um, in the chain, only boy, and so you know there was. A lot of, I guess, pressure on me to really carry forward the family name and, um, you know, achieve, you know, great things and, and being, uh, doing what I needed to do academically was always a, a big part of that and really the core emphasis above athletics. And, and I remember 
there was a time when my sister had let her, uh, a younger sister, her grade, her grades slip a little bit. And he actually pulled her out of water polo because, you know, it, and that was really hard for him to do, but that was the deal. You know, you, you weren't allowed to play sports if you were, didn't have your grades in line. Yeah. Well, one, I appreciate the, the, it's funny when you said $20 for every A, I'm like, ah, the, the Indian kids who try to negotiate that with their parents get told you're full of shit and basically you get a yeah. real <laughs> your head. But the fact that your dad complimented with, with fines, I was like, okay, cool. Now I appreciate yeah. the story. I'm like, the fact that you got, yeah. you know, that you got fined for not getting good grades, I think what kind of like balances out. Uh, one thing yeah. I wonder, you know, as the only boy in a, a family of five, four sisters, like, I've always wondered about big families and sort of the social dynamics. Like, what did that teach you about human behavior, navigating social relationships, particularly being the only boy with four sisters? Because like one thing I've found with friends who've grown up with older sisters, and I always think, man, I wish I had been the second instead of the first. Is like they're all very good with yeah. women. <laughs> like they all seem to have like this <laughs> inherent understanding, and they always credit their older sisters you know, for for that. Yeah, so my older sister, I think being the first of five, she probably had it the hardest. I think my parents were the most strict with her. She really kind of set the tone for everybody else. Uh, like she got straight A's. She, you know, just was a, an overachiever, you know, both sports and academically. Um, and so I kind of saw what she had done, kind of mirrored a lot of that, but also tried to push the boundaries a little bit and see what I could get away with and, and try to get, you know, a, a little bit, uh, my parents to loosen up a little bit on me and they did. And I think, you know, my, uh, the middle sister, she saw some of that. Maybe she tried to push the boundaries a little bit too far and then kind of suffered some of the repercussions of that. But I think, you know, of four sisters, you know, each one has a different personality. They're different and similar in, in, in many ways. But I think just like that's, dynamic personality, you know, you teach you, teaches you to be very sensitive and listen and uh, understanding because there's always, you know, something, especially with four, right? It, one could be having <laughs> I can a great day and then somebody else is, you know, having a complete meltdown. So <laughs> just, you know, trying to stay, you know, even killed and, and not kind of get too emotionally charged up or reacting to, you know, yeah. their emotions is just like, you know, listen and, and be there to support and um yeah it wasn't always that way i mean there's certainly times where we're at <laughs> one another's throats but um you know i think going through that really taught me a lot yeah well you know the one thing other thing i wonder about were you treated like a prince or did your sisters just keep you in line as the only boy i feel like they could go either way yeah i just asked my sisters about that one i guess but <laughs> they they will say they will definitely say that I was, you know, I was spoiled and I got special treatment and all that stuff. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's true. I think maybe it is to an extent, but, uh, I think definitely my older sister, um, tried to keep me in check and then, you know, there was, there was, there was a balance, but, um, yeah, I think it was a little bit different being an older, uh, only boy. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, talk to me about the life of both a, a high school you know, athlete who was good enough to actually play in college. And we'll get into the college piece a bit because I had uh, Brett Lockett, who also played in the NFL here. And I want to kind of ask you some questions about that. But the reason I'm, I'm so curious about this is because I think that we get a certain impression of what this life is like uh, from the things that we see on TV. Right. It's like the high school football star gets to you know date the cheerleader, go to prom with her. You know, life is pretty much just everybody handing him. You know, scholarships after another, but I mean, I, like I've seen the reality of it because I've gotten to talk to a few people who were college football players, and um, I'm curious, like, what do we, what do we from the outside for those of us who are not living this life? It, let's start with high school. Like, what are we not seeing day to day? Because what it looks like is, you know, nothing but life in the spotlight and glory and glamour, which I know is 
like a very small percentage of it. Yeah, so my my journey was very different than the majority of people that make it to the NFL. I think, you know, um, the vast majority, you know, they're blue star athletes coming out of college and then, you know, first round, you know, draft picks. Um, not not first round necessarily, but drastic things in the NFL. Um, in high school, I, well, going back to eighth grade, like, or even, you know, early childhood memories, I had a dream to play in the, the NFL, like a lot of kids do. Um, in eighth grade, I knew that kind of building my body and strength would be a key part of my ability to perform on a high level in high school. So in eighth grade, I started after school, walking over to the high school um, to start to learn, you know, weight training and, and just get hands on and started training with some of the high school kids at that point in time. I was probably one of two or three kids that uh, started doing that. Then by the time I'd gotten to high school, um, I kind of had a leg up, but crazy enough as it is going into my freshman year, I had, I just built something out at like a tower records. It's like record store when those things still existed. Uh, and I get a call out of the blue and somebody's like, Hey, you want a trip to Europe? And I thought it was a friend playing a joke on me. I was like, come on, get out of here. And you know, Turns out it was all legit, but I wasn't 18. So I had to designate um, a guardian to, to go over. So the trip happened to be right in the middle of training camp. So I was going back and forth. Here I am, you know, just preparing to go to high school. And, you know, and the coach is like, well, you know, you're, I wanted to be the starting quarterback. And he's like, there's no way I'm allowing the quarterback to take off and miss. Uh, summer camp. That's the most important part of the season. It's not setting a good example for the other players. And so there was a lot of, you know, debate as to whether I should go on the trip or not. And ultimately, you know, after discussing it with my parents, I said, look, you've got the rest of, you know, your time in high school and hopefully thereafter to play football. We don't know when you're going to have the, another opportunity like this to get a free trip to, to Europe. And so I, I chose to, to go on a trip. Uh, so when I came back, I wasn't you know, the quarterback, I ended up playing tailback and uh, played both sides of the ball. The, the coach didn't want to play me at all, just out of uh, pure principle, but then realized he couldn't entirely keep me off the field because I was a, a pretty good player. So um, that was freshman year, freshman football. You know, not a huge deal, right? You're just you're kind of, as my coach in high school would say, fleshing out the turds essentially. So figuring out uh, what kids are meant to be out there playing football and which kids aren't, and you know, the other kids go on and do something else that's better suited for them. But it was really my sophomore year where I then had a chance to um, play quarterback for the junior varsity team. And I was one of the, um, I think maybe one of three players who was also able to suit up for varsity at the same time. On varsity, you know, I did a little bit of special teams work, not, didn't have like a prominent role, um, you know, in terms of like a starting position and got some like garbage time at safety and some other positions. Uh, however, the JV team, we went undefeated, um, you know, with me as a quarterback and that started to carry over then into my junior year. And then junior year, obviously a very important year because that's when college scouts start taking notice and, and really looking at who they might be thinking to bring in um, over the next year or so. Uh, junior year, 
I was the starting quarterback for the varsity team. It was kind of an interesting dynamics because I was I was a good player both offensively and defensively. And you know, part my my coach kind of wanted to protect me as a quarterback, right? Risk of injury, risk of starting quarterback. It, it could mean the season. But at the same time, didn't feel he could <laughs> keep me off the field defensively uh, because I you know, could, could play both sides of the ball. So I was actually starting linebacker and a starting quarterback, which you don't see every day, um, and, and did really well on both sides of the ball. We ended up uh, winning uh, CIS that year. And then um, finally my senior year, I was going into the season, uh, going to be the starting quarterback again. Uh, I was battling it out. Well, junior year, I battled it out, won the job, essentially. Uh, I became transferred in. And, you know, that, that was a lot of competition, really stressful. You know, wasn't really sure if it was going to be my job or not. Um, but there's, I think, some of that that goes on behind the scenes and all the work that you put in and the, just all the training that people don't always understand or appreciate. It's It's a full load. And, you know, yeah. to be able to just go to school and study, you know, athletes have to do that plus on the physical side of things, you know, to prepare your body. So think about just being a student, you know, there's certainly times where you're exhausted, you don't want to study, you know, you, you just can't focus and those types of things and put all, you know, the physical aspects on top of that. You're sore, you're tired, you're beat up, your head hurts, you know, all this stuff. It just makes it really, really challenging. And so I think that's where, you know, I guess the average person doesn't see or doesn't really understand all of that because you haven't physically been through that type of rigor and having to kind to uh, perform at a high level, both aspects. And then especially in high school, there's the the social and familial aspect as well, which is so strong, right? I think that's the unique thing about High school is you're trying to figure out kind of your own unique identity. Um, with me, you know, I was actually raised in a Mormon household. So there was like this, you know, religious dogma and kind of person I was supposed to be on that front and then trying to figure out, you know, me, the athlete, and then kind of where all that stuff fits together. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's something I think every kid goes through, but I, I think it's, you know, all that just try that figure yeah. it out um, and just, you know, the expectations that you put upon yourself. And also as you have success, the additional external ex- expectations that come alongside that, you know, so yeah. here we are, you know, CIF champions, you know, we're top of the world where I'm in the paper every single day, you know, it's great. Now it's time to do it all over again, right? That's the expectation. We got to go win it again. Um, yeah. And so and then there's also the kind of future aspect that's starting to come into play. Okay. What is my destiny? Where am I going to go to college? You know, I'm not, I'm getting letters, but you know, I'm not really sure, you know, if that's going to materialize into something. Uh, you just don't, don't really know. And, and all you can really do is keep your head down and keep crying, keep putting in the work and then hope that, you know, the, the, what you put out there yields the results that, that you're hoping for. But, yeah. um, two or three games in to my senior season and we had practiced this and toyed around with it in off season. I had a good ability to scramble as a quarterback and run the ball. So I, I was, you know, playing starting quarterback also started to uh, put me in running back when I was still playing um, 
linebacker to safety. It was all over the place. And then, you know, about three games in to senior season, coach decides to make the move and, and we weren't having much success running the football. Um, and just the offense wasn't totally clicking. We can 100% rely on, you know, uh, the passing game. And, and, and that's it because we're really a run first offense by design. So coach made the switch, moved me to running back, um, put in a younger kid at quarterback and that really got things rolling. And, and I was just, I just steamrolled people as, as a running back. I ended up leading the county in, I think, rushing yards and touchdowns despite, you know, having only yeah, missed two, two and a half games, basically. There, you know, set a, a school record for touchdowns and, you know, had a stellar season at, on defense as well. We got all the way back to the CIF championship and unfortunately lost to the team we had beat the year before. So, <laughs> you know, for high school, you know, put together just a great overall career, you know, all the accolades, one of the best players in the county. And yet, there were guys that I played with and against that were getting scholarship offers to all the big time universities. And there was just nothing coming my way. You know, I was yeah. just, you know, I was very, very disappointed. Um, and I just wasn't sure, you know, if there was uh, a future for me in football. I was, I was really challenged with having to make a tough decision. There's a um, something, one of my position coaches at the time, came out to me and said, well, you got to make a decision. You got to decide whether you want to be um, a big fish in a small pond or small fish in a, in a uh, big pond. And I, I was like, well, I want to be a big fish in a big pond. How about that? You didn't <laughs> give me that option. So, you know, I was debating whether to go to a junior college for a year. Maybe most junior college coaches want you to be there for at least two before moving on. And I didn't really want to do that. Um, or maybe, you know, kind of having football become secondary and uh, going East Coast, Ivy League or like Georgetown or something like that and just focus on education. Or the third option mm -hmm. was potentially walking on to a major university. And I was kind of being recruited by through the California schools, Cal, Stanford, USC and UCLA. You know, some express casual interest. Others like SC were like, well, could walk on here, but you'll never play. It's like, well, what's, what's the point in that? Uh, yeah. Whereas Cal, their approach was, look, we, we love for you to come here. We don't have any more scholarships, but, uh, we can help you get into to school. You've got good enough grades and all that. Um, and you know, if you do well, you, you might be able to get on the field, earn a scholarship and, you know, we'll see. And so, um, you have to weigh in all the options. That's the, the choice I ultimately decided to make and walked on to Cal. And, and then it was, you know, starting all over again from scratch. And, yeah. You know, there's a whole story and challenge, you know, just in, in, in the college sphere that um, I went through as well. Well, before we get into that, I want to ask you uh, about high school in particular. Like, I'm one of these weirdos sure. who's like very fascinated by athletes, even though I knew I would never be one. Because if you're, you know, an Indian kid in a Texas town, in Texas, seventh graders are the size of grown men. So, like, I remember yeah. we did, you did those defense, de defensive tackling drills. Like, uh, you're like a dumbass. I volunteered. You know, I'm a scrunny Indian kid. And the coach complimented some other kid for volunteering to play center. And because of my fragile ego, I was like, he's like, I need a guard. And I raised my hand. And so we're doing these tackling drills, this 
big kid just pushed me back like 20 yards, the whole team left. And that was kind of the end of my football career. So I was one of those turds <laughs> you were talking about, but I got, you know, I, I figured that out by seventh grade. Um, yeah. but, look, I've always been fascinated by sports. Like I play Madden religiously. And so the quarterback position is one of those that always intrigues me. Um, particularly because I feel like it's a very cognitively demanding position. Uh, so talk to me about sort of like how in the world does somebody memorize an entire playbook? You have to pretty much be the sharpest person on the field, don't you? If you're the quarterback, like you literally have to know everything that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So your job as a quarterback is to understand what everybody, what every position is supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be lined up, getting them into the proper um, formation. And that's just, you know, the start. You also have to know yeah. the defense, look at where the safeties are aligned, look at the front in terms of the down linemen, be able to adjust the play call according to how they're lining up. Um, so the you know, intellectual aspect of the game on the quarterback position is extremely rigorous, takes a ton of time and effort looking at film, um, studying defenses, understanding all the potential route combinations depending on you know what happens as the plays develop and there's also the leadership qualities right you've got to yeah. be kind of you know the uh the general out there people are really looking um, at you to guide them and you know that's it's a lot of responsibility at that position and so you really got to put in a lot of work so i gotta ask how in the hell do you memorize a playbook also knowing that every situation in that playbook is dynamic and could change in like a snap, you know, second, like the moment the ball snaps, whatever you were thinking has to change. Because I remember reading, I think it was uh, John O'Leary's book uh, about decisions and how like quarterbacks have to make really quick decisions in like under seconds while they're about to get killed. It comes down to just repetitions right you're doing something over and over and over and over and over again and so that's where you know when you're out practicing it's not like you're just you know running around you know <laughs> do it you're, you're drilling this stuff you're going through all these scenarios you're um seeing different looks and then being able to uh respond to that in real time and then looking at that after every practice, looking at those decisions, understanding where you may have made a poor decision. And then next time you're in that situation, you're more prepared to make the right decision. So it's really just the mastery, essentially, right? You spend so many hours, 10,000 hours, whatever it is, doing something. Eventually, some of these things become second nature. And you see that at the highest level. Yeah. Like elite level quarterbacks in the NFL they're playing a different game than everybody else, right? They know what the defense is doing before the defense even knows what they're doing. Oftentimes they know yeah. within, you know, inches where to put the ball based off, you know, where the defender is going to go. So it's just sheer amount of hours invested. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously you've got to have the you know physical talent as well, but that can also be improved and refined over time. So it's really just the willingness to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. That, that can be a major separator and oftentimes is, you know, the extra hour or two in the weight room, the extra hour and two studying film, the extra hour or two studying the playbook. You know, that all adds up 
and, mm. you know, creates a competitive advantage over time. Yeah, I, I'm guessing you've seen it. There's a, a documentary about uh, it called The Year of the Quarterback, which is the year that mm-hmm. Tom Brady was drafted, where I think he was like the 199th pick, if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, have, from your perspective, like what is it that enables somebody like a Tom Brady to become like a Tom Brady, to go from being, you know, one of the latest picks in the draft to arguably the best quarterback in the history of the NFL? And then also like there's a sort of swagger that I, I remember the, the the thing that stood out to me most in that entire documentary was a second interview with Bob Kraft when he says that Tom Brady walks up to him as the fourth string quarterback on the first day of practice and says, Mr. Kraft, I'm, my name is Tom Brady. And he says, I know who you are. And he said, I'm going to be the best decision you've ever made. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think it's it's a couple of things. First, it's the opportunity. Uh, you can be yeah. the best in the room and sometimes never get the opportunity. Uh, Brady got his opportunity when Bledsoe, Paul St. quarterback, got hurt, right? And it was next man up. And he was able to make the most of that. You see that happening now with Brock Purdy in San Francisco, right? Last pick of the draft. And he's outperforming pretty much every quarterback in the NFL right now. You know, but he had an offer and he was third string on a depth chart. Two guys go down. Okay, you're the next man up. Time to shine, right? And you either mm-hmm. rise the occasion or or you don't. And those opportunities are few and far between, especially in the NFL. You know, you get one chance maybe if you're lucky. And if you don't perform, that's it. So, I mean, if you're a high draft pick, you get a lot more opportunity versus if you're a guy who is a late draft pick, you know, you're just there, you know, riding the bench or insurance policy, basically, if something happens to the guy that they've invested a bunch of money in. So that's a big part of it, but it's also, um, you know, the preparation, knowing and, and, and confidence, knowing that, hey, when given the opportunity, you're prepared to do it. And, you know, just, just season it. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that struck me most about that documentary was how all the other quarterbacks that were drafted that year, like most of them got shaken out of the NFL pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Just simply because the game is so much faster and, and the people are so much bigger. Like it's such a contrast, they say, even from college, even if you're a superstar in college, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you'll do well in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And it's system too. Um, you know, you've got to have the right quarterback in the right system to get that to work. I think Brady being in Belichick in, in New England, um, you know, they like a true pocket passer, you know, Brady trying to scramble around and do some of the other things that quarterbacks are, are doing now. That's not his game. So either the willingness for the offensive coordinator to adapt to the quarterback or, you know, seeing what those strengths are and, and kind of putting the right pieces around them is really important as well. Yeah. You know, you can be extremely talented and just in the wrong system and, you know, that's not going to play out well. And, and that's the unique thing about football. You know, yes, it takes really strong uh, individuals, but it's a team sport at the end of the day. It takes every single person doing their job and doing it at a very high level to have success as a team. And I think, you know, that's a big part of, you know, his success is he had a great team. I think the Patriot way, you know, you guys just bought into that, that system and, 
you know, on paper, Brady's definitely not, you know, out of that year, definitely not the most talented, but he was arguably the hardest worker. And then he was in the right system with the right guys, the right coaching and, and all that, yeah. um, you know, really does matter. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So simple as like, if Brady had gone to another team, he may not be Tom Brady. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So one thing, you know, before we get into college, um, the other thing I wonder about, like as a quarterback, I mean, in any position, part of why I was like, this is definitely not for me. Is I was like, wow, this is scary when you get hit. Um, and I had a, a roommate who had played high school football and I think he was a linebacker. He's, he's like, of course it's scary when you get hit. doesn't matter how big you are. So I'm curious, like how you sort of maintain your nerves, like knowing that, you know, there's like a 200 pound linebacker about to clobber you potentially. Of course, you've got your, you know, offensive line hopefully doing their job, but I'm guessing you've been sacked more than a handful of times, no matter how good you are. Uh, like talk to me about that, like managing that, like, is it as like, is it as scary as it looks? Like, is there fear involved? There, there is, but I think that kind of gets subdued. I think you flip a switch once you walk on the field, right? It, it's, you can't play fearful. You have to, to play confident and, um, trust in your ability and also trust in the guys around you because it's their job to protect you, <laughs> you know, keep you, uh, from getting those, you know, just monster shots. Did it happen? Of course it happens. Injuries is part of the game. Um, but you just can't, you can't play timid. You've got to play aggressive. You've got to have that fire. You've got to understand that you're well-equipped and capable of, you know, uh, overcoming, you know, the guy across from you and you, you're, you're mentally stronger, you're physically stronger. And, you know, that's going to play your favor, but, um, yeah, it's, it sucks. You know, it takes, it definitely uh, you take a beating. The physical demands and the violence of the sport are no joke. Um, but, you know, when you strap up, you've got to let gear just go away. You can't play fearful. It, it just, you know, I, I feel like there's a much higher risk of getting injured uh, if you're playing fearful as opposed to, you know, um, just taking command and, and knowing that and trusting in your ability to be out there and dominating. Well, you know, to discuss our, our just sort of, I just talk about your experience with college. I want to bring back a clip from uh, an interview with Brett Lockett, who had described the experience of college football player to me. Take a listen. You pick your major based on when football practice is. So if there's certain classes that are per se in the, e in the evening during the fall or afternoon, you can't take those classes because during that time is when you have film and you have practice. And then during the spring, you have to take classes or courses in the evening because off-season workouts are in the morning, right? And so if you talk to any UCLA football player, they've either been a sociology major, a communications major, political science major, a history major, and a geography major. That's like 99% of the majors. And some of the smarter, smarter guys may have a math degree or things of that sort, right? Yeah. But it's because of keeping guys in line so that they can play football, right? So that's, that's already the, the, the first phase of, of, or the system I think that falls through because the skill set 20 years ago that we're still teaching today are not applicable to today and succeeding in today's society. And so you give these guys these degrees and then 99% of them will not make it to the NFL, right? And so you've had tutors for them. You've had counselors checking on them, making sure that they're, they're in class, making sure that they're, they're getting good grades because they have to stay eligible to play football. You have a, a schedule for them for, for, for football meetings or for when to be at practice, when to be at workout. So you're not, they're not doing any of this. And so when, when people talk about the babying and, and, and them being spoiled, it's not really being spoiled. It's just everybody's doing something for them so that you can focus on being your best playing that sport. So I think the, the thing that struck me most about that, uh, 
clip when he told me that was sort of the reality of life for so many of these athletes who are superstars in high school, go on to college and, you know, from there, they're kind of stuck in this position. And, and many of them, you know, post NFL don't have anything to fall back on. Um, so talk to me about sort of your journey from, you know, playing college football, Cal to NFL to, to starting a business and as it relates to this, you know, what you just heard there. Yeah. So I would say from probably most institutions, that's true. Uh, I think Cal is different. Um, and my experience was very different. So I walked on. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have access to a lot of the same things that scholarship athletes had access to. I, you know, didn't have a training table in my first year. So I had to like jam back to the dorms, oftentimes without dinner, after practice, after long days. And, you know, so that was very different. It's not like everything was catered to the game. Things have changed, I think, significantly since, you know, my time playing and, and, and today. Athletes definitely, uh, you just go back to Cal now and look at the facilities and everything um, that these guys have. It's, you know, a lot easier in terms of uh, um, just access to things. We would have to walk from the stadium all the way down to, um, you know, like Sprawl Plaza after practice, after you've already had a full day of classes to put in the work. And, you know, it was, it was extremely demanding. You know, and, and people weren't writing those papers for you. People weren't taking the exams for you. There was, you know, and, and honestly, a lot of professors at Cal don't give a shit about football. They really don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know that's well. just I mean, the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know this, like Cal, you go there, like I, I was a straight A student in high school. And I remember uh, when I went to Pepperdine for graduate school, my friend says, you know, he had been to Cal as an undergrad too. And, you know, Cal kicks your ass as an undergrad. And I remember we got to Pepperdine. He's like, you feel like a genius, don't you? He's like, you're not. You're surrounded by people who aren't as smart as you are. Whereas at Cal, you go there and every single person who's there is like their high school valedictorian or, you know, it, it's so yeah. crazy to experience. Because yeah. I, I had this like kid, this young kid who I'm mentoring and there's a straight A student in high school, like had patents to his name and he's getting bees for the first time in his life. And he's freaking out. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, welcome to Cal, dude. Right. Yeah. So I think that academic rigor, you know, what Cal puts you through is tough. And then everything that we're doing as athletes is obviously tough. You know, guys, um, there's definitely that narrative of like, Hey, you know, this is kind of, this would probably be the easier path is choosing one of those majors. I got talked out of like, you know, chasing a, a major minor because the <laughs> my counselor said you know there's no way in hell that you're gonna have time to both major in business and minor in architecture you know it's not even feasible you're gonna have to choose a path here but um i think if you really uh pursue the academic side of things and, and there is you are able to kind of make that work in a way that's going to carry forward into life after football, um, at least at Cal. I think you just have to push back as a student athlete and say, no, this is what I really want to do. Let's find a way to make this happen. Um, and not just take, you know, whatever the counselor or, you know, coaches say at face value. And I think that's, you know, a different caliber of student athlete that's going to a Cal versus calling UCLA or <laughs> somewhere, somewhere else. I mean, UCLA obviously has very high academic standards as well. Um, but yes, I think 
people can look at that and say, oh, well, you've got all these tutors and you've got all these things and you've got all these like other things that regular students don't have. Yes, but we're also spending an extra six hours a day just on our sport, you know, at least, mm-hmm. right? So that just makes it a little bit more manageable. Um, but there's definitely not, it's not just, you know, um, handed to you. And I would, I would say because of that, because of what, uh, you know, how much Cal challenged me academically because of what I had to do to go from walk on to scholarship athlete to four year starter, uh, prepared me, better prepared me for both the NFL and then life after the NFL because it was the work ethic. It was that, you know, uh, high intellectual demand. It was my ability to pick up and understand the offense, not just what I was supposed to do, but what every other position was doing. So even though I didn't play quarterback at Cal, you know, I started to understand, understand the the game through the lens of the quarterback and reading the defense in the same way that I did, you know, in high school. And so I think, you know, Mm -hmm. as a football player, that's a really important thing that's not always well understood. It's the elimination or at least minimization of mental errors. That's what, you know, makes you lose your job. You know, you know what you're supposed to do. You know, you got to go out and execute. You can't have mental errors, you know, physical, you know, Things happen, right? You can you can get beat on a play. You know, physical stuff. There's physical letdowns all the time. You know, and that mm-hmm. just happens. There's freak athletes out there, but mental errors are just like, you know, that's what's going to get you um, taken off the field, essentially. Yeah. So um, that's where I think again, the coaches that I had at Cal and both like the academic side of things really prepared me for the NFL and then, you know, what I'm doing now in business. Yeah. Well, you know, the, there's a thread that a theme that I've noticed throughout your entire story. And it's one of, despite being highly qualified, not getting picked or what, you know, Seth Godin says the tyranny of being picked, right? Like you don't get, but Joe, like you end up not getting a scholarship. You are a walk on. And from what I've read about you, you were also undrafted to the NFL, but somehow you've managed to, despite all that, not let that, you know, let the tyranny of being picked determine, you know, how you're going to, where you're going to end up. Um, and the funny thing is I see this with creative people. It's like, oh, man, I can't write a book until a publisher says, you know, I'm worthy of writing a book, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like one example after another. But you, despite not getting picked, somehow have made your way into the situations where other people hadn't chosen you. Talk to me about that. Like, what is it that enables that? Um you know, give me a, a sort of brief tour of the time in the NFL uh, and that sort of undrafted experience and then how that leads to life after the NFL and what you're doing today. Yeah, so I think in some regard, you know, there's there's some truth in that, right? Statistically speaking, you know, walk-ons don't make it. You know, it just, it doesn't really happen very often, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible. And so seeing that, knowing that kind of somebody has walked the path before you, I think, you know, builds a lot of confidence and, and then, you know, looking yourself in the mirror and, and saying, okay, how bad do I do? Do I really want this? Am I willing to put in the work? Am I willing to work harder than the guy next to me to chase the straight? If, if you can answer yes, truthfully, then go for it. But, you know, it's not an easy road. I mean, when my first year at Cal as a redshirt walk on Turlock, California, 
I was planning my escape plan back to Newport Beach because all my friends were partying, having fun in summer before and off, going off to college. And I, I was getting my ass kicked by, you know, future NFL Hall of Famers. And it was just miserable. I, I hated it every single moment. But something inside of me said, you know, just told me not to quit. Just keep going. You just keep waking up. You keep, you know, just going. And, you know, eventually that opportunity comes and, you know, it's your chance to shine. And, you know, that's really, you know, the path that I've, I've taken is like the, it's all that work that you put in continuously day after day, eventually, um, you know, comes to fruition. And, and I think people often quit too soon or, you know, let the naysayers or, you know, statistics uh, get the better of them and, and, and just the daunting aspect of that. Um, a book that I love is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And, and just like we're always faced with obstacles. We're always uh, faced with challenges. It's how we respond to them and, you know, our uh, just tenacity and determination and creativity to find our way through or around those obstacles that end up um, leading to the success that we're ultimately able to achieve. Um, but yeah, it's certainly not an easy path. I think, you know, even by the time I got into the NFL, it kind of, at least for me, because I was undrafted, you know, it's such a, a surreal opportunity, but you're never quite sure if you're going to wake up the next morning and be fired. You know, it was just mm -hmm. always that sense of unease because there wasn't, you know, the, the business dynamic, um, you know, there wasn't like a, a huge investment that they made in me necessarily. You're seeing guys, you know, uh, leave every single day. You know, one day you've got, you know, your, your best new friend in the locker next to you. Next day, he's just gone. So um, the business side of sport was, was certainly tough at the NFL level, um, which is very different than, than obviously college where, you know, for the most Part. You know, the guys that start there are the guys that are going to be with you. Now, there was a lot of um, turnover and guys that had left because, you know, after my freshman year at Cal, we had a new coaching staff come in and really shake things up. And that was, again, part of the reason why I got the opportunity that I did. But, um, yeah, I think it's just trying to ignore, you know, just the sheer fact that the majority of people I guess, fail on their pursuit, but understanding like if you have the temperament, the skill set and are willing to put in the work, then yeah, you, you're, you're probably destined to succeed uh, if you can yeah, just do it for long enough, I guess, uh, to yeah. kind of survive the attrition of everybody else around you. Yeah. I remember seeing an interview or listening to an interview with Jeremy Lin and he said that the thing that you don't see one, you mentioned the fact that, you know, I, I think we, you know, we see sports as our entertainment. We don't realize it's a business. And each one of these guys job is to produce revenue for that business. And he said, basically, every time you're on the court or on the field, you're basically fighting for your life to keep your job. Yeah. I, and, and that's, you think about the psychological aspect of that. You know, yeah. every single play that you're in there, there's so much pressure. <laughs> and this is practice, even, you know, practice because, you, you know, guys, that's where decisions are getting made. So you miss a block, let's say in practice, 
you're, you know, just dreading that. You got to, you know, psychologically, you got to shake it off and say, okay, I got to get back and, and, you know, um, make sure the next pl- that 10 plays aren't as terrible as that one. Right. Um, so that when the day is done, you know, that my signature on that practice, you know, what I'm, or my report card, you know, maybe it's not an A plus, but hopefully it's not an S either. Right. So, you know, just being able to bounce back when you have a missed opportunity, a missed block, a missed whatever, and that resilience is super important. And psychologically, emotionally, that's where, you know, a lot of resilience and strength is is required because a lot of guys, if you don't have that, you know, it just snowballs. And then next thing you know, you know, you've now sent in that S for the day. And, and that's really, you know, going to jeopardize your ability to, um, stay there. Yeah. Well, talk to me about the transition of leaving yeah, something you've done for so long and then going to business. Because I feel like one of the other things I see, you know, with athletes, and I, I remember asking Brett Lockett about this as well, is there's this, some, you know, part of your life that is effectively this massive part of your identity that suddenly is gone. Um, and I've heard that that transition can be tough, but talk to me about that and how it leads to, to everything that you're up to today. Yeah, I would say that transition is probably one of the most challenging things for an athlete to go through. I, uh, you know, no matter, you know, I felt that I always knew it was going to end. You know, I kind of even went into the end of NFL with a three to four year timeline of being where I wanted to be with it or else moving on through my education use and pursuing a career in business. Um, there was some programs and different things that were accessible to us as players, you know, being able to gain exposure into different careers and, and get a taste for that stuff. I think I was, again, like one of two or three, you know, players that were taking advantage of that at the time, you know. So in spite having put in all this time and, and really trying to prepare mentally for life after football, nothing really can prepare you for that. Um, yeah, you've been chasing this dream for the entirety of your life. It's really how you, you're, you're identified as, you know, Chris, the football player. Um, and so does everybody, right? That's how they know you. And when that just all of a sudden stops, it's really tough to redefine yourself and think about, okay, what now? What next? I was in, um, at a, a wellness retreat in Denver recently. It was put on by the NFLPA and there's probably about 30 something of us in the room and, uh, the person leading it asked everybody to stand up and, um, out of, I forget the sequence of questions, but basically how it went was if there was anybody that, you know, if you, uh, if your career ended before you thought it would end, you know, take a seat. If your um, career ended, blah, blah, blah. So there's like one person that actually walked away from the game <laughs> out of the room, group, of, uh, group of 35 on their own terms. And so that just goes to show like nobody, for the vast majority of people, uh, they don't really choose when it's over. And so 
in those discussions and in that, you know, kind of intimate setting, you really learn the internal struggles that we all battle with that you know, most people don't understand unless they've been through it. And, um, you know, it takes years, uh, sometimes decades to really get through that and, and transition. And, you know, I think when you think about why you had success as an athlete and try to harness those skills and apply, you know, that work ethic and that model, uh, to whatever's next, that's when things start to click and come together, right? So in business, okay. I've got to study. I've got to learn. I've got to know my industry. I've got to do all these things the same way that I always spent hours watching film and studying the playbook. Now I've got to take that and apply it to just a different medium. Um, the work ethic, all the time I spent in the weight room and on the field practicing and all that. Now I've got to apply that to this new craft. You know, it's not necessarily physical demand. It's something else. Um, And I think when you do that, then you're able to kind of find your strides within life after football, whatever that might be. So I I know that I haven't really given you a chance to talk about uh, light fuel, but you know, like I said, I felt that this part of the story was really where some of the most powerful lessons. um, Like, just talk to me about what you're actually doing today, and and like how you've arrived at, at choosing to do this of all the businesses you could start. Yeah, so for me, it was um, in that post-football transition where, you know, everything I had done outside of football was actually more financially related. Um, you know, I had interned for Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney at a point in time. I had done some stuff in Kansas City uh, in the financial world when I was with the Chiefs. And so I, I thought that would be the path that I would take after football. Um, but for me... I finished my career in 2008. Uh, so right, you know, global financial crisis, essentially. I was studying for my Series 7, working on kind of a business management uh, and financial advisory group and putting that together that would provide those services to athletes, essentially. And then I had a friend, a former teammate from Cal, call me up out of the blue and asked if I wanted to go abroad and play football in Italy. And it's something I had talked about. Uh, if I had the opportunity to do it, I definitely would. You know, if I could use football to travel and live abroad, that sounded like a dream to me. You know, even the NFL was never on the table. Uh, that's something that, you know, really, really interested me, especially having an Italian uh, ancestry and all that. And so surprisingly, I kind of debated it. I was like, oh, I don't know. It sounds kind of crazy, but eventually decided to, to do it. And it was, you know, one of the best decisions uh, I've ever made. It was just such an amazing opportunity. It allowed me to really uh, play for the sure love of the game again. Great book actually written by John Grisham called Playing for Pizza was almost identical to the experience I had uh, during that time. And so it was such a, just a beautiful experience overall, uh, really allowed me to leave the game on a positive note and then kind of think more deeply and clearly about what I want to do next. And I was starting to kind of delve deeper into the world of uh, fitness and nutrition 
know, I had, I had ballooned up to 240 plus pounds um, to play fullback in the NFL. So even though, you know, I was, you know, kind of at this elite level of athleticism, I wasn't necessarily happy with what I looked like when I looked in the mirror. You know, I was just big, you know, I was known for being strong and, and a big dude, but, you know, I was carrying more body fat than I was comfortable with. I had a lot of other kind of um, side effects in terms of like health and energy levels would be all over the, uh, the place. Gut health was a disaster. Lots of heart ba- uh, heartburn after an acid reflux after eating. And, you know, that just wasn't fun or pleasurable. So I, I really take a took a vested interest in cleaning up my diet, look at a, a, started to research all these different dietary theories, read mountains of books on like bodybuilding and just, you know, all this stuff just really became a sponge uh, to soak up as, as much knowledge of the space. And then when I had returned from Italy, well, actually during my time in Italy, I started to see the difference in the way people, um, ate and lived and, and just kind of that different unique balance around that and how much cleaner the food was and all that. And, you know, how much different it was to the standard American diet in our food system here in the U S and upon returning from Italy the first time, um, I then I'd volunteered to coach at a kid's football camp and, uh, this guy had followed my career and had a, a business he had started in the bariatric nutrition space, asked me what I was up to and said, no, I don't really know. I'm kind of in transition trying to figure it out. And he said, well, you should come in um, for an interview and, and, you know, we might have some opportunities. So I did. And I didn't really know too much about kind of the weight loss, uh, surgical weight loss space at the time. Um, it was complete opposite spectrum to obviously what I had known as an athlete, right? Um, bust your ass in the gym, eat clean, you know, and you're going to look and feel the way you want. And here's people struggling with morbid obesity and, um, you know, 400 plus pounds uh, overweight. Um, but uh, that opportunity opened my eyes to kind of the role of nutrition and uh, um, how important and how often ignored it is in our, our food system today, you know, we've, we've accepted many um, foods today that would be unrecognizable by our ancestors. You know, the uh, nutrient density of the food we eat today is, is far less nutrient rich than it was just a few short decades ago. So, and as a result, we're seeing chronic illness, you know, at the highest rates it's ever been. So that really intrigued me and made me kind of take a deeper dive. And then, really um, start to kind of look at why this is and the problem and all that. So unlike fuel, we're really, that's the problem we're, we're aiming to solve is we're um, kind of putting back what's missing from food, looking at the um, natural synergy and bioavailability of real whole foods to do that. So if you look at the, the vitamin supplement industry at large, 99.9% of products are synthetically made chemically created in a lab to mimic natural vitamins and minerals. And what we're doing at Life Fuel is we are uh, working on harnessing just the real whole foods, which are naturally the most bioidentical and most readily absorbed in the human body. And so if we want to do that without having to take 15 different powders and pills to kind of get those baseline nutritional needs met. So I say we've created the, the cleanest, most complete solution to daily nutrition. And 
um, you know, it's been a beautiful journey. Uh, we've bootstrapped the business. It's been a lot of, you know, lessons learned and experimentation, but I've been hands-on in every facet of the business, which has been, it's, it's been incredible. It's taught me a lot. And, you know, we're still, um, I feel very early stages at, to what we're, we're going to accomplish here soon, but I feel like we're, we're really leading the way in terms of, um, kind of this science-based approach to nutrition using the power of real whole foods in their purest form. Amazing. Um, well, this has been fascinating. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. So I have one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it's authenticity and, and just being true to oneself and, and really um, writing your own unique story. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of life is we're all on you know, our own unique adventure and there's no set rule book to follow or any one path. It's really, you know, yours to, to create. And uh, I like to say it lives life by design, not by default. And I think that's what, um, that's what encapsulates that. Amazing. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything else that you're up to? Yeah, so the best place is uh, through our website. It's lifefuel.com. That's life with a Y, L-Y-S-E-F-U-E-L.com. Uh, same social handle across um, most uh, social media profiles. So it's just lifefuel, L-Y-F-E-F-U-E-L. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. 
We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.